Once upon a time, in a land far away, I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the podcast. So excited to have you here. We're going to make another trip to Nepal today. But before we do, I wanted to say if you hadn't heard, this past week we put out a preview of some of our Patreon exclusive bonus content. One of my favorite tales of all time that Katrina's retold Abu Hassan and his epic fart, as I've named it, but it's actually Abu Hassan Breaks Wind from A Thousand and One Nights. It's funny because I picked it out as like a, a Patreon only tale, but you enjoyed it so much that now the only part of that particular episode that is exclusive is the part where you and I talk about times when we <laughs> were uh, ashamed of ourselves. <laughs> and then we're so embarrassed we had to run away. So if you haven't heard the episode or you haven't heard about it, we just launched a Patreon page that's already chock full of bonus content, um, you know, bonus episodes and bloopers and outtakes. So if you've been looking for a way to further support the podcast, go check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash the fairy tellers and check out the promo that gives you a little sample of the types of bonus content that we're going to be putting out. But you're always welcome to just come back here and listen to the stuff for free because we love doing this for you. And speaking of the stuff that we love doing for you for free, I promised that we'd be going back to Nepal. And we are. This week, we're going to tell another Nepalese tale and talk to you a little bit about what the Nepal Youth Foundation has been doing since we last brought them up uh, at the beginning of the, the COVID-19 pandemic. I recently got a message from a person who works in Nepal at the Nepal Youth Foundation on the ground out there. Um, her name is Shristi, and she had messaged talking about how she had listened to the Cinderella episode, the Asian Cinderella episode that we did, and that she was reminded so much of a classic tale from Nepal. It's apparently one of the best-known folk tales in Nepal like oh, nice. all children like all children know this story yeah. and so she had shared it with me and I was like this is really good timing because that means less work for me to try to hunt down a story <laughs> <laughs> and we had been asked by the Nepal Youth Foundation to kind of just do a little shout out for the day of giving it's Giving Tuesday, December 1st. So it's the first Tuesday after Thanksgiving. People will celebrate by having Giving Tuesday. That's kind of like one of those. You have got Cyber Monday. It's like <laughs> Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and then and Giving, Giving Tuesday. Tuesday. Perfect. And so they, they had asked if we could just like give a little mention, remind people that they're kind of, you know, they take donations and so they were wondering if we would do a little shout out for them and I was like well this works out well because 
I have been in contact with one of the people who works for you in Nepal. <laughs> so I have a good tale to tell. And we can do our shout out. It all came together. It worked yeah, out Yeah, that's perfect. So some of the things that the Nepal Youth Foundation has been doing since our Nepal episodes that we did in April and May, the Nepal Youth Foundation is actually partnering with the current school system out in Nepal to help them transition to distance learning that's accessible to the children of Nepal. And it's so funny to me because since I'm doing distance learning like with my kids, <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, the the needs for that type of learning are so different from like regular learning. But they're also really unique to the place that it's happening. And so out in Nepal, what's really great is that the Nepal Youth Foundation is a group that's made up of Nepali people who already know what their communities need and understand yeah. the specific needs that they have. Yeah, that is awesome. Um, and so they have been supplying equipment and training on how to set up these satellite schools in these smaller towns. Children normally were walking about two hours to kind of go to a, a school that was kind of in a, a bigger town where it was easier for children to all come together, even yeah. though... Oh my gosh, two hours to school. That's insane. That's devotion right there. Yeah. But since it was asking, since the, normally their school was kind of asking them all to, to gather in for larger numbers, yeah. that's like the opposite of what you want during COVID times is like yeah. coming together in greater numbers. And so the children are staying in their towns and villages where they are safer from as much exposure to COVID. Yeah. And so once the teachers have the supplied equipment and the training from the Nepal Youth Foundation, they go into those villages and they're able to kind of pick a central location in those towns to gather up the kids that are there and have school that way. That's awesome. They already have 50 of these schools up and running right oh, now. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. And they're going to, you know, try to scale it for whatever the need is. And what's been really great is that like once this model is kind of set up and they have the equipment out there, it's very sustainable that it yeah. can go on and, so it's great because whether COVID is around for a super long time and this kind of becomes the norm for a while or whether, uh -huh. you know, COVID stops being a problem, this program is still going to be useful because yeah. it's been working so well, making sure that like the kids don't have to walk as far. They're still getting the education that they need. And so it's been a really great program that they're actually kind of excited to see like where it goes from here. That's super cool. So some other things that they've been working on is they have the Anchor Counseling Center and it's expanded its reach by offering telecounseling services for frontline workers and providing crisis training to local women's service centers. They have pop-up community nutrition kitchens that are serving hot lunches to children in urban areas. 
And they also have Leto for Life programs that distribute packages of vitamin-packed super flour, called Leto, to hardworking families that don't have access to nutritious food. Because you know, people still got to eat, even in COVID times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Man, that's crazy. So much going on. Yeah. And uh, they also have the Emergency Lifeline Halfway Home for Women. They are providing women a safe, comfortable space that they can complete their mandatory 14-day quarantine periods after returning to the country from abroad. And this provides a safe place for women to be so that when their 14 days is up, they can return safely to their families. So a lot of great programs are running right now with the Nepal Youth Foundation. These are just a handful. And so any donations that they get, whether on Giving Tuesday or any time of the year, they are being put to good use. That's awesome. So if people want to donate, they can go to nepalyouthfoundation.org. And donate. And also, they have told me to tell people they have a book called Olga's Promise. And it is about the woman who started the Nepal Youth Foundation. Her name is Olga Murray. And she didn't start the Nepal Youth Foundation until she was 59 years old. Mm. She has led an amazing life, and when she was 59 years old, she traveled to Nepal and was meeting all of these children from Nepal, and she was realizing that, you know, these kids had so much potential to soar and to lead great and amazing lives, but some of them had had, you know, roadblocks to success kind of just in their life. That's, you can't pick the situation some of the situations you're born into and she realized you know like there's stuff that we could do to remove some of those roadblocks and just let their success take them uh where they need to go and olga is 95 years old oh wow and she still travels to nepal to Go and like visit the the children of Nepal and visit the foundation. Make sure everything's kind of like running smoothly. So That's Olga amazing. is amazing. So she has this book, Olga's Promise. And if anybody is interested in it, they have ten books that they are giving that the Nepal Youth Foundation is giving away for free. So it does not have to be tied to like a donation. So if you live in the United States. They can uh, mail you the book, Olga's Promise. So if you want one, if you're listening right now and you want one of the books, um, you can email info at nepalyouthfoundation.org. And you can get a free book. And I have one. So you all can be jealous until you (laughs) send an email and get it. Yeah, I have one too, and I definitely want to read it a lot more now. I was always planning on reading it because they sent it to us after, you know, the last time we helped them out with their kind of like fundraising stuff. But man, that sounds like an amazing story. So I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. So on to the story that Shristi sent me. Yeah. 
So this story is called Don Cholecha. So Don Cholecha is Nepali for n- old nanny goat. But Tristy, <laughs> Tristy was telling me. I know you're laughing because it's like yay more words for our. <laughs> it's like a running theme of the podcast that we are a animal husbandry podcast and just learn all the specific terms for baby animals and male and female animals of whatever species. Yeah. So it's funny because Shristi also told me that that could be translated also as tiger goat. Oh. So, which makes it kind of like a supernatural goat. Yeah. Which you'll see in the story totally fits. Oh, nice. And I'm really glad that she told me all of this like ahead of time because the translation that I was looking at, there was no goat (laughs) and they never said Don Cholecha. Uh And so I got to the end and I was like, did I read the right? (laughs) Did I read the right? (laughs) And so it was funny because then I watched a video on YouTube. It was like a two hour long movie of this fairy tale made oh, in wow. Nepal. Yeah. And it was not in English. And so what I what I did was <laughs> I I put the video on like double time so that I could visually watch it happen. Right. To make sure that I understood what I had just read. <laughs> and inside the movie it was a goat. Okay. Um and so I was like, I think between Shristi saying to me, it's a goat. Yeah. And the movie from Nepal saying it's a goat. I'm pretty sure that the translation <laughs> was somehow missed something. Yeah, it was just like was only confused about that like one thing, which was awesome. So, this story is going to start off sounding very very familiar to everybody because there once lived a farmer who had a small daughter named Panku Maicha. And soon after she was born, it says before she was even a crawling babe, her mother died tragically. Classic start to a fairy tale. Everybody's Mm -hmm. here with me. So the father remarried and pretty soon his second wife had a baby. Oh, but nothing good can come of that. The stepmother didn't want to have to take care of Poonku Maicha. She loved her daughter and wanted her daughter to have everything. How they describe the discrepancy between like how the stepmother treated the children is in terms of food, which that's going to be a big theme through the story. So be ready for some food talk. So it says the stepmother used to give the best sweet things to her daughter to eat, but then she would only serve rough coarse food like bread made out of husks and bran oh. to Poonku Maicha. High in and, fiber. Yeah, exactly. High in fiber, low in nutrition. So her daughter was getting yummy, yummy sweet things to eat, and her stepdaughter was getting just like fiber. Just the grossest part of the plants. So the family also had one big old goat. (laughs) Don Cholecha. 
Since this goat lived with the family, it was privy to all of the family's hot gossip and drama. (laughs) And it could see that this girl... Punchu Maicha was constantly being like treated very badly. And apparently that did not sit right with this goat. It thought that it was wrong. And it's interesting to me because after telling so many like Cinderella tale types where the mother, the like the deceased mother is inside the body of the helper character. Yeah. That's that's kind of where my mind goes. Right. Where You're I'm like, like, oh, it's the mother it's goat. Her, it's the mother goat. But it never says that specifically in any of the translations that I've read. But that's kind of just where my mind went because of like. Yeah, the past that pops up. Yeah. So since the nanny goat could see how badly treated this girl was and how underfed she was, it became really concerned for her because it was a kindly goat. Mm. So Poonchu Maicha was also the one that was in charge of taking the goat out grazing in the fields. They only had the one goat, didn't want to lose it. Her job was to make sure that this goat got plenty to eat and then came back at the end of the day. So one day, when Poonku Maicha was out with Don Chalecha grazing, Don Chalecha disgorged herself meaning she threw up. Vomited. Oh, gosh. Boiled rice and legumes that she, that that the goat had been fed earlier in the day. And this was one of the things where I was like, I think I'm misunderstanding. I feel like this maybe is lost in translation. Uh And so I watched in the movie specifically for this. And yes, the goat threw up. The food that the goat had had, it was boiled rice and legumes. And it was much better food than Punku Maicha was used to. And so she started to eat the food, which I know that that <sighs> might sound gross, but this is a fairy tale. When you've been doing nothing but eating like bran and husks, like that's going to be pretty good. So Punku Maicha took the food that the goat had disgorged. And started eating it. And it tasted amazing to her because she basically had been eating garbage before this. She had just been eating like the husks of plants before this. And so she was eating it. And then her younger sister arrived. Mm. And she was looking at Punku Maicha eating and was like, she's not supposed to have food. So she went over and was like, what are you eating? And Punku Maicha was like, nothing. It's none of your business. <laughs> no, that's not what she said. <laughs> the younger sister asked Punku Maicha, what are you eating? And Punku Maicha really quickly was like, oh, I'm just eating some kesu, which are black roots that she said she dug from the meadow. But her younger sister did not believe her that she had just, you know, dug up some (laughs) food and been foraging for food, even though I'm just like, Oh, this poor girl, she probably did. She probably was used to trying while she was out to just like forage for food. Oh yeah. But the younger sister wasn't satisfied with that answer. And so she kept demanding that Punku Maicha tell her what she was eating and that she give her some. And 
Punkumaicha was like, I'll give it to you as long as you promise not to tell mom where the food came from or that I was eating. And of course, the younger sister was like, sure, sure, sure. No problem. Your secret is safe with me. Lies, lies, lies. <laughs> so since Punkumaicha was nice, kind and thoughtful, she <laughs> was like, oh, I believe you. And so she told her that, oh, yeah, Don Cholecha gave me this food. And then she gave her some of the share of food and the greedy sister quickly ate it up. But she made sure to hide some of the food as proof. Mm. And it says that she hid it inside the crevices of her fingernails, which... Is an interesting hiding place. Yeah. I don't, I'm like, I, I don't know where else she would have hidden it. So I yeah. guess that's like an option. So she hid some of like the grains of rice and the legumes like under her fingernails. And then she quickly went home to be the worst. I kind of had hope because it's like, you know, the, the half sister yeah. doesn't have any choice that the mom is being unfair yeah. So I was like, I was trying to withhold judgment and be like, okay, just because the mom is treating them unfairly, it's not that sister's fault. But now yeah. the sister is making her own choices that are horrible. So yeah. I'm going to judge ready, away. <laughs> get ready to dislike more family members. Oh, no. So the younger sister gets home and she quickly goes inside to her parents and is like, mother, mother, the goat is out feeding Punku Maicha secret food, and it's, like, really nice food, too. And she pulled out her, like, fingernails to show her mom the, like, grains of rice and yeah. the legumes that she had been giving her. And the stepmother was furious. Because she's like, how dare somebody go behind my back to not abuse my child, <laughs> my stepchild. The but then nerve. what's up? What upsets me, too, is then the husband also, because the wife goes to her husband. Uh, I guess hmm, I won't be mad at him yet. He'll get other stuff to be mad at. He I don't know, has he has plausible deniability at this point, not later in the story. He, and he doesn't have the plausible deniability. He knows what his daughter's been eating. This guy. So. Yeah. <sighs> Anyway, the stepmother got super angry that this goat had been being kind to her stepdaughter. So she went to her husband and she said, tomorrow for the festival, we have to slaughter an animal. I think we should slaughter the goat that we have for the festival tomorrow. And the husband's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Perfectly acceptable thing that we should be doing. So, I'm not quite sure. It doesn't say which festival it's for. I have reason to believe that it could be Desai. So, Desai is a holiday, which would be interesting to me if it is the Festival of Desai, because it is a festival that is celebrating this mythological story that is very, like, this is a very basic run-through, but it's a, a good versus evil. 
Oh, interesting. And like good overcoming evil and this like goddess overcoming like demons specifically. Yeah. Which that'd be so it'd be really interesting if it was this holiday that they're celebrating because of things that are about to happen in the story. Ooh. So, but on this holiday, you slaughter goats and chicken, oxen. There's this is a this is a meat festival. Yeah. In my version of the story, it doesn't say decide, but it says for like a festival. So the goat overheard them talking <laughs> about its impending death. And so it went to its friend, Poon Kumaicha, and told her what was about to happen. That the secret had been divulged by her stepsister and that now she was going to be slaughtered. So Poon Kumaicha was very, very sad since the only being that was kind to her was now going to be like murdered. Yeah. And so the goat calmed her down and was like, like, quiet, 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 you're weeping. And listen to my instructions. I'm going to be slaughtered. But when they ask you to come upstairs to have the red vermilion mark, this uh, tika, put on your forehead, you should pretend to be indisposed due to aches and pains in your stomach and back. So this is another thing that kind of leads me to believe that this is like a big festival because the vermilion, the tika... Mm-hmm. Mark, they do that on very special occasions yeah. during during festivals or weddings. And it's also super interesting to me that it says to say, I can't because of aches and pains that I have in my stomach and my back. The reason that's very interesting to me is because that sounds like period cramps. Yeah, to that's me. what I was thinking too. Like, yeah. like fake that you're menstruating. Yes. And there are a lot of cultures... And religions that when a woman is menstruating, they can't participate in like certain religious activities. So, yeah, I just remember when I was uh, like a kid, we were uh, in Bali and we were going to this one place that was a like a wat, but it was like an old wat that was like carved into like a cave in the mountains. But on the outside, it said like, if you are menstruating, you are not allowed inside due to religious reasons. Right. And my mom was like, oh, okay, I'll stand outside. And I was like, you can go in. Nobody is going to check. And she was like, <laughs> but she was like, um, no, that'd be extremely disrespectful. Yeah. Like it says like specifically not to do that. So I'm not going to do it. And I was like, oh, that's good of you. Good on you to like respect the culture. Yeah. To be like, that's not me. So I know that there are, Different religions that if a woman is menstruating, if she's on her period, she's not supposed to participate in different like activities. In this day and age, there are lots of conversations that happen about whether those it was for practical cleanliness reasons or whether it has something specifically to do with like the religious tradition. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there for the story. It was just interesting to me because that's what it sounds like to me. Right. Yeah. It's like have a really good, ex- like a really good excuse that they're not going to be like, 
forcing you to do something because if you're not if if you're not supposed to participate when you're menstruating you're like oh my gosh it sounds like she's menstruating then they'll be a lot more like 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 nowadays if you're like oh i have a cough and a fever they'll be like oh please definitely do not come into work yeah they're like oh yeah you can stay home yeah (laughs) away from me yeah but i thought that was interesting so the goat told her that when they ask you to come upstairs to have the red vermilion mark put on your forehead, tell them that you have aches and pains in your stomach and your back so you can't come up. The next thing they'll do is they'll ask you to come and give oblations of flowers for the goddess. And this you should also not do, but just tell them the same reason. But lastly, when they come to you and tell you that they're done eating me from dinner... And it's time to clear my bones. Come upstairs to clear my bones and hide my bones away. Where you plant my bones. I Yeah, your brain's doing the same thing that so it should be doing. <laughs> Take my bones and bury them. And the spot that you bury my bones, a tree will sprout up covered with yomari. Yomari is a popular, we would think, we would call it a pastry because it is rice, flour, dough Mm -hmm. that's shaped like a cylinder with like, it has like a pointed bottom and it's filled with kind of like a sweet paste Mm. and it can be multiple different things, powdered sesame seed mixture with like cane sugar there was also like ground up coconut custard like that was mm-hmm. and these are like steamed yeah. and this would be a tree that yeah. is covered in them a yomari tree what is really interesting to me is i looked at pictures of yomari and the way that they are shaped yeah. is really similar to the flowers on a tree in nepal and the tree in nepal is called a cinder tree mhm And the cinder tree is actually what's inside the fruit when you cut it open is a bright, like bright red seeds that they use to make the vermilion powder that they use to like put on your head. Oh, wow. That's super fascinating. Yeah. So it's like the shape of the Yomari sweets uh, that are growing on this tree are like the exact same shape as the seed pods of this plant. That's cool. Uh, yeah, so I was like, oh, that's that's really fascinating how it kind of like all comes back on itself. But anyway, and I also was like, wouldn't you love like a tree that's covered in pastries? <laughs> uh, yeah. And especially since this is a child who has been like starved, that's yeah. kind of like the big point that keeps coming up is this child is not getting like any sweets, any good things. And so this goat is like, you know what, take my bones and I will feed you these like sweets because of like what a good person you are. Like, I'm going to do that for you. So Punkumaicha remembered Don Chulecha's last instructions and followed through with them exactly. So the goat was slaughtered for sacrifice for the goddess. And then her meat was served at this big feast. And the whole family feasted on it, ate it all up. But Punkumaicha was just in bed, sobbing, completely grief stricken that her friend 
her one friend, yeah. the goat, had been killed. So her family came down and told her, hey, it's time to have the red vermilion mark that Tika put on your forehead. And she told them exactly what she was told to tell them. Like, oh, I have aches and pains in my stomach and my back. I can't come down. And they were like, oh, okay. And they just left her there. And they kept, you know. Partying, enjoying themselves. So then the next thing was taking oblations of flowers to lay before, you know, the goddess during the ceremony. And again, she said, I can't. I have the aches and pains in my back and my stomach. And they're like, fine. So when the day was over, all the celebrations were over. They came to her and they're like, it's time for you to clean up this mess. <laughs> so she got up because because cleaning is something that apparently women can do while they're menstruating. <laughs> <laughs> So she got up and she quickly, you know, took the goat's bones and she took them outside and she buried them carefully, not very far away from her home, but, you know, a distance from her house. Yeah. So I can totally see where like Shristi's mind went when it was like listening to the Asian Cinderella stories being like, this sounds a lot like that because that beginning part totally like the magic bones yeah the the special helper the magic bones it's all like this is there yeah but then the story is about to take an interesting turn that i'm excited to take you on so it says the next day a tree sprouted full of yomari Sweets. Yes. Delicious. So Punku Maicha quickly climbed up the tree to enjoy as many Yomari sweets as she wanted. <laughs> I'm like, classic. I can see why children like this story. Uh, like just imagining this, like, oh man, that sounds so good. This tree just like covered in like like pastry sweets, candy, <laughs> like coconut custard filled buns or like, ah, oh, the I'm first so time, the first time you see it actually happen, you just go and like stuff your face full of as many as you can. Yeah. And then you disgorge yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so Punku Maicha was up in this tree. It's just enjoying piece after piece of these Yomari sweets. And along came Two demons. So Hindu demons are completely different from Christian demons. Okay. The name of them looks like it's pronounced lackey, which I think is funny because they're like lackeys. Lackeys of not the devil. Um, so in Nepal, when they're talking about demons and their folklore, they're talking about these like red men with like thick black hair and these ferocious faces that have just soup, like long, uh, like fangs. The masks mm. look amazing. Like if you Ooh, look it up. Yeah. So they are sometimes depicted as super hairy creatures almost like apes, but again, with these like bright red, like faces. 
And so they show up in like mythology, folklore, and also tons of like festivals. And so these two demons show up and they look up and they see Poon Kumaicha sitting and eating these yummy Yomari sweets and they ask her to throw some down for them. So something that I thought was super interesting while I was doing my research, because I wanted to know more about Yomari sweets, obviously. Oh, yeah. There's a like a rice festival where Yomari sweets are served because rice flour, these yummy sweets, and you're celebrating a good rice harvest. You're going to be eating these. And apparently children will go around. And you know how in like, like for Halloween, there's that like, Trick or treat, smell my feet, give me something good to eat. Like yeah, yeah. little, little like rhyme. So this that reminded me of this. These like kids will run around and they'll be kind of singing this like little rhyme. And the English translation is: the bread is pointed, the filling is sweet. If you give me a bread, you will be a pretty lady. If you don't, ugly. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. I love that so much. And I love that it's like, you know, describing the sweet because the the end, the tip of the bread is right, like, is like pointed. Like pointed, yeah. But I also thought it was interesting that there's kind of that like pretty lady versus ugly lady. Like if you're kind, you're a pretty lady. If you're mean, you're an ugly lady. Yeah. Because that goes right like into the story. But anyway, so these demons are basically like those little children being like, throw me down some Yomari. <laughs> So, since Poon Kumaicha was nice, she threw down some Yomari sweets, but the demons weren't able to catch them, or they didn't on purpose. So they said, oh, those fell into the refuse heap, or some stories I saw said that they threw, since they hit the ground, they were like, oh, those have been on the ground. We don't want to eat those. We can't touch those. Like five second rule, dude. Pick it up. And part of me wondered the way that it was said that it was like it had fallen on the refuse heap and they could not touch them now. I kind of wondered if it had something to do with like the casts, like what what could be picked up, what couldn't or like what can be touched by somebody versus what can't. I'm not sure. But yeah, five second rule. They were like, no, it touched the ground. So she grabbed some Yomari sweets and she climbed down so that she can could hand them the sweets. But when she did get close enough, they grabbed her and ran off with her and took her back to their demon house. So when they got back to their demon house, they told her, we want you to make us some, in one story it said, oh, sweets. I couldn't, did my research find out what that was? How they described it in the story was as salted and fried pastry made out of black gram, which I think is black legumes. And then in another story, it said they wanted her to make chitamari, which they call <laughs> Nepali pizza. Ooh. Because it's like it's like a rice flour flatbread that then they can put a lot of like savory on top of. And Uh so they call it Nepali pizza. Nice. They said, we want you to stay in our house and make us some chatamari while we're gone. 
So they said, we're going to go bathe while you stay here and cook for us. And so they left and Punkumaicha was left inside of their house. And she was like, well, better get to cooking. So she started to make the chetamari and then a couple little mice peeked out and they were like, if you give us a piece of bread, we will give you a piece of advice. (laughs) And so she was like, that's adorable. And so she just like threw them some bread. So they took the bread, they nibbled it up, the chetamari, they ate it all up. And then they said, if you give us a piece of bread, we will give you a piece of advice. And she was like, I'm pretty sure we just did this. (laughs) She was like, that is so cute. They are adorable. So she threw them some more. (laughs) Um, She threw them some more bread. And then they said, if you give us a piece of bread, we will give you a piece of advice. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, okay, no problem, because you're tiny little mice and you're adorable. So she just happily gave them more bread and they ate it up and they were like, "Mm, thank you so much, my dear Maicha. That tasted so good. Now we will tell you the demons have gone to sharpen their knives so that they can come back and eat you. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm like, that is such an adorable little message. Love it. <laughs> That's some life saving advice right there. That is. So she was like, oh, that is troubling. And they're like, we will help you escape. But first, You should go and dig in their treasure rooms and get as much precious gems and stones as you can carry. (laughs) And so she went around and like found like gold and gems and jewels in their house and gathered them up. And as she was about to leave, the mice said, you should leave a drop of saliva or spit on each of the steps of the staircase leading to the door and place a piece of charcoal on each drop of saliva. Then bolt the door from the outside by putting it in the latch. So that sounds like super weird advice, except for the part about like bolting the door. I'm just not what is weird to me. So they want her to bolt it from the inside. So that seems like she's locked them out. Right. I'm just not sure how she did that. Maybe she had the key. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe the mice locked the door when she left. I don't know. But either way, she spit onto each one of the steps and left a piece of charcoal next to each piece of spit. And then the door was locked from the inside as she left. So she quickly ran home. So when the demons got back, with their knives all sharpened and they're excited because they're going to eat some delicious young girl full of Yomari sweets. <laughs> Ooh, she's like her own little Yomari sweet. Little girl with your Yomari sweet filling. Yes. <laughs> delicious. So the demons got back all ready to eat some delicious girl, but the door was bolted from the inside. So they started knocking on the door. Bang, bang, bang. Punkumaicha, Punkumaicha, come and open the door. And the drops of spit with the charcoal in them yelled out, 
Oh, yes, I'm coming. One moment. <laughs> I love that. Because uh, it's like the spit, since it came out of her mouth. Right. Like could speak her voice. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I'm like, oh, I love that, like kind of thinking, because it's like it's like a little magic spell to like right. have your spit speak for you with the charcoal, I guess, acting as an activant. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> There's like some kind of logic there that yeah, makes sense. Like I, yeah, I'm like, I, I see that. I see that. And so they waited. Nobody came. So they banged on the door again. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. One moment, please. I'm coming. <laughs> they bang and bang on the door. She is not coming. And they're getting more and more frustrated. And she is getting farther and farther away from them. <laughs> it's always good to buy yourself sometimes. So they... Angrily, finally, just gave up and beat the door in. And when they went inside, <laughs> they found all of the bread had been eaten by mice. <laughs> and there was no Poon Kumaicha. So they were super frustrated and angry, but Poon Kumaicha was back home. So she gets back to her house and she is panting and she is out of breath because she's been carrying a heavy load of... Precious gems and <laughs> stones and jewels. That she's stolen from the demons. Yes. So she's banging on her door and nobody would come and get it. So she's oh, banging man. and calling for her family. And her father is like, it's your stepmother's turn to open the door. And then the stepmother is like, it's your stepsister's turn to open the door. And then the stepsister said it's your dad's turn to open the door so this went around and around for a while so they're they're all just kind of passing the book so to speak they're all just saying oh it's somebody else's responsibility to open this door for you we don't want to deal with you nobody wants to come and help you and so punkumaicha says the load i'm carrying is too heavy please come and open the door at once and once she mentioned having a heavy load the stepmother was like uh, I'm curious. Yeah. What does she have? So she runs down the stairs with her greedy little self. <laughs> and she like busts the door open and Punkumaicha comes in and onto like a sheet of cloth. She pours out all the precious jewels and gems and stones that she had taken from the demon's home. And her stepmother had never seen this amount of riches ever and was completely thrilled to have this like sheet full of all these like incredible amazing things and she said how did you get these where did you get these from and so punkumaicha quickly told the story of the demons taking her away off of the yomari tree and so the stepmother started thinking hmm we might be able to do this trick again if i have my rude greedy daughter also if she did the exact same thing that poon kumaicha did so the next day the stepmother took her it said perspective heroine which i'm like (laughs) i like to think of myself as a perspective heroine (laughs) so she we all think that we're the hero of our own story so the stepmother took the younger sister 
over to the Yomari tree with the instruction to climb up the tree and wait for the coming of the demons. So she sat up there, obviously snacking. We would all be snacking on that tree. (laughs) So while she was sitting up there, just calmly snacking, the two demons came back. And this time they were angry because they had been pretty well tricked the day before. (laughs) So they're sitting up there and they see this girl up in the Yomari tree. So they call up to her to throw down a few of the Yomari sweets. So she threw down a few pieces and they complained. You drop them on the ground. They're in the rubbish heap. I'm not going to come I'm not going to eat those. So they said, come down here and hand us the sweets yourself. So she climbed down. And when she got close enough, they grabbed her, took her back to their lair, just like they had done with Punkumaicha. And when she was inside, they said, we want you to make us some Chetamari. So they left her to make the Chetamari. So she started working and out came the little mice. And they said, if you give us a piece of bread, we'll give you a piece of... And the girl starts screaming and freaking out and like, get back. Get back, mice. Get, get, get. And the mice are like, oh my gosh. And so they come, they like run away and she gets back to making the bread and they come back out and they're like, if you give us a piece of bread, we'll... And she grabbed a hot roasting poker and started Whacking at the mice, killing them all. Oh my gosh, come on. This lady's psycho. (laughs) So, after she was done beating them, she finished making the bread. (laughs) So the demons come back home, and she gives them the bread that they made, and they ate it, and they said, you did such a good job. You've worked really hard. We've all had a long day. Let's all go lay down. So she goes and lays down. And when she falls asleep, one of the demons gets up and he starts making a fire. (laughs) (laughs) So he's getting the fire ready for like roasting some nice meat. And while she's sleeping, the old male demon chops a chunk of her flesh off. So she wakes up screaming. Yeah. And so the old female demon gives her hug and says, oh, come here, darling. He just gave you a little pinch. It's nothing, nothing at all. (laughs) And then while she's holding the girl, she chops a chunk off of the girl and starts roasting it. So then the old male demon, he goes, oh, come to my side, my darling. Did that old hag pinch you? Don't be afraid. (laughs) And then he takes a chunk off of her. Oh, my gosh. And they continue back and forth like this until all that was left was a skeleton of white bone. I knew you would love that part, Jeff. That's horrifying. I was like, Jeff is not going to enjoy this part. (laughs) And that's why at the beginning I was like, I'm going to warn you. And then I was like, no, why would I warn you? (laughs) We need to get this genuine reaction. Yeah, like I I want you to be like horrified at the end. So they had a delicious meal all night. Roasted meat. That's the wicked taste better. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's 
Now I want that on a shirt, Jeff. The Wicked Taste Better. <laughs> oh, no, that could also be a song, a Doolahan song. Yeah. The Wicked Taste Better. Because mm. they've been fed on sweets their whole lives and not husks. Brand and, and husks, brand. yeah. So the demons took the skeleton and they hung it outside of the eaves of the window of her parents' house. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's gruesome. So the next morning, the stepmother woke up thinking about all of the diamonds and gold and silver and jewels that her daughter was going to come back with. And it says she went up on the terrace so that she could sit and brush out her hair while like thinking of all of the riches that she was about to get from her daughter when she returned. And while she was up there, she heard a crow saying... The mother is dressing her hair while the skeleton of her daughter is hanging from outside. Oh, gosh. Which, that's pretty gruesome. And she was like, what is that crow talking about? So she quickly just, like, shoes it away. And then she looks down from the terrace. To her great surprise, she saw her daughter's bones hanging from the eaves of the house. Ugh. So she beat herself in sorrow, screaming, alas, I am undone. And then she starts sobbing uncontrollably. And it says that the father suddenly realized the worth of his daughter and (laughs) treated her well from that day forward. And the stepmother was treated as a maid. Oh, man. Yeah, you treated your daughter nice because she just came home rich. (laughs) So... This story is so interesting to me because it is not a Cinderella tale type, except that parts of it are. Yeah. And that is confusing. Yeah. So we've talked on the podcast before about the good sister, bad sister, or kind and unkind girls tale type. Yeah. In Mother Holly, the story kind of had that same ending where this daughter fell down a hole and she was in this kind of magical land and her good deeds got her rewarded. And then when she went home, her stepmother sent a wicked sister down. Wicked sister was rude. Wicked sister got covered in tar (laughs) and sent home. Um, And then we've also told a tale from Russia where Father Frost rewarded the good sister, but froze the bad sister to death. Yeah. And so this ending is a good sister, bad sister, or unkind, kind girls tale type. But... But the beginning... is fascinating is the beginning. Yes, Jeff. Yeah, like when you said the whole thing about the bones, I was like, we just talked about this. Yes. And so it's super fascinating to me because there are tales that are the good sister, bad sister tale type. They get labeled as Cinderella stories because sometimes they will end with a prince. Right. And it's not the prince like pursuing the girl and like that kind of a narrative. It'll just be kind of a like, oh, and... Then she married a prince and that's the end. Um, There's actually a story in Thailand 
that that happens. And I'll explain about that in a second. But yeah, this one is fascinating because it is a mix. It's a blend. And there's a story in, I want to say, Iran that we were going to cover. We're kind of doing a thing where we do Cinderella stories kind of like once a year. That's not true. We did two last year. (laughs) (laughs) We're We're kind of spreading out the Cinderella tale types because, you know, we don't want to like overdose people on Cinderella tales, even though we've told people they're found all over the world. And so we're kind of going section by section. So we haven't told the one in Iran yet, but that one starts off with a cow and these like cow bones. And it has a good sister, bad sister tale in it, but then it kind of ends more like Cinderella. And that's, This one is so interesting to me because it starts off like the Cinderella story with the bones. Yeah. But then the ending is very much good sister, bad sister. Yeah. And it was interesting, too, because it was like, especially when we compare it to the Asian ones that we had just done a month or so ago, it was like fish bones. And then it was like. The crab, crab shell, bones. which yeah. based on the location of where those were done, like in China, it was done in the very southern China, like on the border of the sea. They even talk about it was like a coastal area. And like yeah. the king or the prince that came was like a prince of the islands, like even further south off of the coast. So it's like very specific to the food and the animals that they would eat in those areas. And the same with like the crab in the Philippines. And then this one, Nepal, is like a landlocked country. So it's like, oh, it's not going to be seafood. It'll be a goat instead. And also, too, it's like kind of geographically, you know, further west, but still like close enough that you could see how the story elements could like mix and get spread around that would produce similar stories, but adapted for their their culture in that way. Especially since like Nepal is bordered by... China, like where we had that one tale. And then it also is bordered by like India that also has like its own like tales and story elements. And so it's interesting how this story comes together. I mean, that's my favorite thing about looking at tales that are similar tale types and then seeing where all those little differences are. Yeah. Is where you see like that the culture and like the flavor of that area, like coming through. Yeah. And I, I like how I just accidentally used the word flavor just then because (laughs) I'm fully thinking about food. Yeah. That was another really interesting aspect of this, how much of it was tied into food. And this one, it seemed like more than others. I felt like there were so many things that tied it so much into culture. Like the, the festival that was going on was like a very specific festival the yeah. type of food that they made was like very symbolic of the tree that's in Nepal. Nepal you know, there was lots yeah. of very specific elements in this story that made it, you know, a very specifically Nepali tale, which I thought was really, really cool. And even like in Europe for this tale type, you have different kind of mythological kind of like creatures. Cause I mean, we talked about Mother Holly. Father Frost, but there's also a story that is French where it is fairies. And sometimes the story is translated into English as diamonds and toads. And in the story, diamonds and toads, the fairies 
uh, punish the, or they reward the good sister with diamonds coming out of her mouth. Oh, wow. And the bad sister with toads (laughs) coming out of her mouth. So the good sister disgorges diamonds and the bad sister disgorges toads. Exactly. And the goat disgorges rice and legumes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what happens. So it's interesting to me that it's like, like in Europe you have as that kind of capricious character of like rewarding good behavior, bad behavior. Like the, you have fairies, Mother Holly, Father Frost, that kind of stuff. But in this story, it's interesting to me that it's demons yeah. that are coming to to punish the kids. And really the thing that's rewarding them or not rewarding them is like the mice and their good behavior towards the mice. Right. Yeah, I did think that was interesting because I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, like in these other tales, it's kind of a good character like Mother Holly. But in that same episode where we talked about Mother Holly – Mother Holly was kind of a version of a character that wasn't always good. And that's yeah, the same thing with complicated. Yeah. And that's the same thing with father Frost. It's like father Frost is not necessarily a good being. Like he will well, like freeze you to death. When we talked in the character alignment episode, which is an episode I never thought we would like reference, uh-huh. <laughs> but it's interesting because we said those, those characters, the Fae, mother Holly, father Frost, those are all chaotic, neutral characters. Yeah. And so you don't know whether they're going to behave good or bad. It's all dependent on their mood and kind of your behavior and whether you're respectful or not. Right. And in this, it's interesting because it is like the mice were fully willing to help based on your good behavior. But then if you murder them, they can't, they can't help, help you. you. Yeah. And so it's interesting how like, Characters that are really like regional specific to the story. Yeah. And so we've got these like Nepali demons in this story. That's like really cool to look at. That was cool. And, and the, I thought the talking animals was an interesting element just cause you see that a lot, especially in you know, Cinderella tale types, but like, you know, you yeah. had the goat that talked and helped her at first, which, you know, we talked about how that ties in, but you know, the mice and then the, the crow at the end, which again is very similar to even like the Grimm's tale where it was those birds yes. that were always like throwing shade at the stepsisters and telling people like how evil they were and stuff. Yeah. Cause in, in the mother Holly episode, there were crows that were like, your daughter is horrible. And now she's covered in pitch. What was yeah. it? Oh man, because I just remember that being like so sassy. Yeah. Of because it sounded almost like they wanted to say like the B word, and it's <laughs> yeah. like that's hilarious. <laughs> You're acting like a real rhymes with pitch. <laughs> so that's what we're gonna cover you with. So a lot of stories that are the kind and unkind girls tail type will get labeled as Cinderella stories. And there are a couple of theories why that happens. The one is they have a lot of similar plot points. They've got similar characters where it's like women behaving badly towards women, right. which we talked about in Cinderella, common one. Um, this one was extra confusing because it did have like the bones element, but then also Another reason why they sometimes get labeled as Cinderella stories, especially the ones that are that become more regionally well known, is because stories sell better 
if they are labeled as Cinderella tales. Yeah. And that is just marketing is what that is. Playing off of that name recognition. Yeah. Being like, oh, people will understand the concept already and be like, oh, I'm interested in hearing a story that is the blank version of like a Cinderella tale. Yeah. So when I had been doing my research for our last Cinderella episode, I had found a children's book that was called Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters that actually won the Caldecott Honor Book Award. Oh, nice. But this book came out in 1989. So I don't know how easy they are to come by if people want to find Mufaro's beautiful daughters. But in that story that was for children, it says that they had taken this story from a book that was printed in 1895 by G.M. Thale. And so I looked up that book, found it, read the story that that was from. And the story actually has like a completely different name. It's called like The Five Heads. Mm-hmm. But that that story is a good sister, bad sister tale type. Right. Not a Cinderella tale type, which I think is so fascinating that people will find the good sister, bad sister tale type, tweak it a little bit sometimes to change it into a Cinderella story, or they won't change it at all and they just call it a Cinderella story. And you can kind of get away with it because you've got the... They're so know, similar. Yeah, because, I mean, we talked about the other name for the Cinderella tale type is like the persecuted heroine tale type yeah. where you have usually stepmothers and stepsisters that are persecuting the heroine, which is like what happened in this story as well. You know, that's kind of like... Absolutely. If you've got a bad sister, she's usually going to be doing bad things to the heroine. So um, in Thailand, I had been told a story that had been labeled as the like Thai Cinderella story. And it's very, very similar because it is a kind and unkind girls tale type. And it's almost exactly like the diamonds and toads story that was told um, in France And really quickly, I'll tell the story that there was once a girl whose mother died and her father remarried. Have you heard this one? (laughs) So when her dad remarried, her stepmother had another baby girl, but she was always mean and rude towards her first daughter. And... While she was still young, the father died. And so our heroine was stuck with a mother who didn't like her and a stepsister who was often cruel. And so she was always doing the housework and not treated very well at all. She also had to go down to the river to fetch water and also to clean all the clothes. So one day when she went down to clean some clothes, she saw a poor old woman also in the river washing clothes. And when this old woman saw our heroine come down, she asked her, will you get me a cup of water? I'm very thirsty. And of course our heroine did go and get her a glass of water and give it to the old lady because she's a good person. So then the old lady says, you are kind and gentle, even though I am, I don't look 
Like a rich, fancy woman, you still treated me with respect. I will give you a gift. Whenever you are saying kind things, golden flowers will fall from your mouth. Mm. And so our heroine knew that this old lady was probably a forest spirit who had come to her in disguise. So she went home, and when she went home, the old woman who was her stepmother started yelling at her, and why are you late? What's wrong with you? And when our heroine went to speak, gold flowers fell from her mouth, covering the floor in gold. And so her stepmother quickly gathered up those gold flowers and took them to the marketplace to sell them for money. So she'd gotten such a good price, she came home and she commanded her stepdaughter to speak and speak and speak. And so she did keep talking and gold flowers falling out of her mouth until she couldn't speak another word. Her voice was sore. So her stepmother thought, oh, you know what? I have another daughter. If she could speak flowers that were golden also, then I wouldn't need my stepdaughter. (laughs) If I can exploit two people, why would I only exploit one person? (laughs) So she commanded her daughter to go down to the river to find the old woman. But she couldn't find the old woman. All she could find was a beautiful young woman who was dressed in lovely clothing. So immediately, this younger daughter was jealous of this beautiful woman who is by the river. And when the beautiful woman asked her, will you get me a cup of water? The younger sister was like, no, get it yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And the forest spirit was like, how dare you? You are so super rude. Every time you speak unkind, ugly words worms are going to fall out of your mouth. Gross. And so when she returned home, yelling angry words, worms spewing out of her mouth the whole way, (laughs) she told her mother that their sister had lied just to get her cursed by this old spirit woman. And so the stepmother started to beat her and ran her out of the house And so she went into the woods with her heart aching and crying because she missed her father and the old life that she had, and she was so miserable. And so she sat under a tree crying. But then a prince came along and saw her crying, but also he saw that she was surrounded by gold-colored flowers. And... So he fell in love with her immediately. (laughs) Not only because gold was falling from her mouth, but because kind words fell from her mouth as well. And they were married and lived happily ever after. (laughs) So that is a kind and unkind girl's tale type. But that one actually ends with With a prince coming in. Yeah. So that's that's confusing too, making it seem like a Cinderella story because it starts off with abused stepdaughter forced to do all of like the chores and it ends, ends with being married, married to, the to prince. a prince. 
So it seems to like it seems to check a whole bunch of all the right boxes. Yeah. And so it's really, really easy to get them to confused. Yeah. And it also, for the sake of enjoyment of the stories, doesn't matter at all. <laughs> yeah, I was about to get there too. It's like it is interesting and fun as far as when you're studying them to go back and see how, oh, this is really what makes a Cinderella story Cinderella. And the fact that it's so widespread under those parameters. But yeah, but it's like for people that aren't scholars, it's like, who cares if they say it's a Cinderella story or not? Because if it seems kind of like it, then it is kind of like it. Yeah. I mean, it really gets into this like splitting hairs argument where it is, like you said, like if you're a scholar and you want to argue the point that this belongs in one classification, Go for it. That's totally, I mean, you could like write into us and be like, here's why you're wrong. This yeah. checklist is checklist. And that's, that's fine. That's your prerogative. But it also, this story illustrates how hard it is to take folk tales from all around the world and try to even create a catalog. Right. Where they belong and like how to find them, where the motifs are, like all this stuff. Like it's very, it's very, complicated because it kind of becomes like okay how do we lump these together where do we draw the line where do we make a subcategory yeah and i think our main story of today is a good example of that because the first part of it really does fill so many of the typical persecuted heroine cinderella tail type elements and then the last half of it fills another tail type it's like what do you do in that situation you weigh up how many elements of each are in what you know what i mean it gets very like you said very complicated and ultimately doesn't really matter but it is interesting yeah it might become important for like tracing kind of things like what came first right or saying, like, where did this tail type originate from? Where's the oldest version of it? Yeah. Things like that. But for the sake of just enjoying a story or even using the story as like a gateway into another culture. Yeah. Then it doesn't matter if it's a Cinderella story or if it's a kind and unkind girl's story. It's just a fun, awesome story and a way to explore. So I just want to say a huge thank you to Shristi for sending this story my way and for taking my messages when I had questions. Yeah. Because I love getting a peek into another culture and the stories that the people create. And if Anybody who's listening is interested, remember that you can email info at nepalyouthfoundation.org if you want to get Olga's Promise. They have 10 books that they are able to send to people in the United States. Sorry to our international audience. And also, please remember the Nepal Youth Foundation on December 1st when you're looking for someplace to donate money. The Nepal Youth Foundation is an extremely worthy cause. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you are enjoying what we're doing, please support us by leaving us a review or share us with your friends. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. If you are a dreamer, come in. 
If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer, if you're a pretender, come sit by my fire, for we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Invitation by Shel Silverstein. It's also called the unkind versus kind girls tail type. Tail type. <laughs> Turtle time. <laughs> <laughs>